our group. All righty. I just realized if some of you are new and don't know me, you may like be packing your bags to leave. <laughs> I love you. Okay, you can go ahead and start the recording. We are in session two, Personal Gods, and I have an opening question for you. What instructions do you typically hear from parents of little ones at the dinner table? You say them and I'll repeat them so everybody can hear them. What do you typically hear parents say to little ones at the dinner table? Eat your food. What was the other one? What? Chew with your mouth closed. Put the napkin on your lap. Use your silverware, which is a nice way of saying don't use your hands, right? The positive approach. Use your silverware. Yes. Okay. We're going to come back to that. This is um, our middle daughter, um, our middle child, Rebecca, who now lives in Prague and who now actually likes eggs. So I am here to, to pass on hope to any young mom out there. She actually likes eggs. Now, if you are a mom of a teenager or college student and you are still battling the I'll wait you out game or the pitiful face, I don't know what to tell you. But our next question now, I want you to take yourself out of the church setting completely. The answer is not Jesus, God, or the Bible, okay? So let's pretend we're not sitting here in church. And I actually want you to close your eyes. Did you know we think in pictures? So I'm going to, this is not word association, this is a picture association. So I want, with your eyes closed, when I say a word, a picture will come to your minds, okay? Idol. Now open your eyes. Did you think of something more like this when you just heard idol? I see some nods. Now, I do have a bronze longhorn at home. My dad worked for UT, University of Texas, for 30-something years. But I, like, don't, and, and so when he passed away, I took his longhorn, and it means a lot to me. I see it on my shelf. But I'm not, not like, bowing down to it or anything. I mean, I'll sing the song, right, Marlene? I'll sing the song. I'll do the, but, but this is not like an like an idol of any kind, yet I do struggle with idols and idolatry. Not such a popular topic. And it's actually really easier to see in other people. Have you noticed that? Even like maybe in your first two days of study, did it across your mind at any point, oh, I know somebody with that problem. Yeah. But when we look at the mirror, it's not always such a pretty perfect picture, is it? Perhaps you've already faced some of your own idols in just these first two days of study. And just think we have 13 more weeks to go. I ran into somebody when I was um, getting my, you know, book bound and uh, who's in this study. And she was getting her book bound. But my book is finished because it's what I do as a teacher. It's what I should do and what I love to do. So I've already done the study. And... So she was joking with the lady behind the counter um, that she would like to have my book and I would give her, she would give me her book. And the lady 
was not having a very good day, did not find any humor. And she's like, okay, so then do you want to pay for her book? And all right, then I'll put a cover on that one. And I'm like, no, we're joking. And she said, she's the teacher. She has all the answers. And we laughed. Again, she's not like smiling at all. She, she, you know. But as I left, I thought, you know, this is the one study. Well, there's probably lots. But my book would not help you really. Because the personal, the questions are so personal. And you've had a taste of it in days one and two. And it's, I don't want to say it's just going to get worse. I'm just going to say it's just going to get more. Okay? So just hold on. This is truly a study that you are going to get out of it as much as you put into it. And that's almost always true. But I mean, like, for real people, it's this will mean the most to you if you are really honest with yourself as you answer these questions. I think we should just stop and pray. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this chance to be together to look at your word. I do thank you for the gift that it is. You knew how badly we would need it. Thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit who is teaching us. We rely on your spirit to speak to ours. In Jesus' name we pray these things, amen. How many of you here did the Hosea study two years ago? Okay, some of this might be a review for you. Um, If you remember, in every chapter in the book of Hosea, every single chapter, idolatry is mentioned. So if you want a book of the Bible to read that speaks to this overall topic, I would recommend Hosea to you. If you would like a non-Bible book to read, one book, if you're going to read just one book, I would recommend Timothy Keller's Counterfeit Gods. I first read this when it came out nine years ago, and uh, then I read it again, and I'm on my third reading. I guess I'm a slow learner, but you see it's small. Now, you don't need to go out and buy this book because I am going to reference it throughout our time here together And today I'll even give you a top 10 look at it, like David Letterman, because I know not everybody likes to read, not everybody's at a stage of life that you can read, but I'm just saying if you you do want to read one, this is an excellent book. The tagline is, The Empty Promises of Money, Sex, and Power, and the Only Hope That Matters. Excellent book, Timothy Keller. It's on your handout too, by the way, on the back side. When we hear idol or idolatry and we picture this, there's a tendency, and I'm going to go so far as to say it is easy for me to think, phew, not my problem. I got a lot of problems, but this isn't one of them. And personally, I'm going to say that when my heart response to idolatry is this picture, then I, I believe I'm right where Satan wants me to be. Because then I can so easily say, I don't have that. God's devoted much of his word, Old Testament and New Testament. And when I study this, it's a lot of D words that come to my mind. Discouraging, depressing, disheartening. In other words, it's not, idolatry is not an uplifting topic, right? If this is the same for you, I do want to give you hope. Because in the last chapter of Hosea, we see God's command again in the book of Hosea concerning idolatry, and we get further insight 
into the why. You know, he doesn't always tell us why, and he shouldn't need to. As a child of God, I should be obedient just because he says so. But when he gives us the insight of the why behind it, oh, we should really pay attention and actually rejoice over that, that we get a why. So let's take a look at the why behind the command. This is in Hosea 14, verse 8. O Israel, stay away from idols. I am the one who answers your prayers and cares for you. I am like a tree that is always green. All your fruit comes from me. Now, I rewrote this. This is, I have three verses that I wrote in the front cover of my book. And I rewrote this and put my name in there. O Rhonda, stay away from idols. I am the one who answers. So you're welcome to do that too, if you'd like to, because it's not just O Israel. It's to us as well. Do you remember back in the fall when we talked about why we study God's word? To know him, because to know him is to love him, and to love him is to obey him, and to obey him is to live as Jesus did. So if I just look at this verse, I just don't want you to miss it. it remember why we're doing Bible study. So let's just, this one verse, what do we know of God? So I look at this verse, and I see he answers my prayers. I see he cares for me. I see he is unchanging in the most healthy of ways, evergreen. He produces, look at the last line, he produces fruit for me, in me, around me. So what do I learn of his character from one verse? He is attentive to me. He is compassionate. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is purposefully productive and generous. We, you know, it just makes me want to just stop and just thank you, God, for loving me and for being my protector and provider. I, we could just stop and just worship him right now. One verse. Don't ever miss that. You know, I'll be flipping a bunch of verses up here. And just always look to what do we learn of God. This is why we do Bible study, to know him. It, some of you may attend church here and our sermon this last Sunday was on what is our purpose. What is our purpose? To know him. Okay, all right, let's keep going. We've got to move on. So now we're going to try to bring idolatry into the 21st century. And some of you might still be struggling thinking of this. This is another culture. It's another country problem. Have you seen this in another country or another culture? I have. I've seen it in Taiwan. I've seen it in several of our sweet refugee women. This morning while I was working out, I watched a show um, on Hinduism, and I saw it there. Millions of gods. Did you know that I'm not all the way through it? I guess it should have worked out longer. It was very hard to turn it off, I will tell you that. But did you know they pick a god, a family picks a god for the family, and then it's passed down from generation to generation to generation. That becomes that family's God. Or you can also uh, pick a God because of a, a particular circumstance. So like the two gods that I saw this morning were the gods of obstacles and the gods of disease. And then I got to watch a ceremony where they were naming a new God that they had derived to meet their needs. 
fascinating. So yeah, it's just in another country. That's another culture. That's another religion that has so many gods. So honestly, what's the big deal? If we're not bowing down, we don't have golden statues. We're here in church for crying out loud. We're good, right? Let me ask another question. What's the first commandment? We looked at this in day one. What's the first commandment? You shall not have any other, everybody's glad you came, but I heard a lot of mumbling. That's very good. Y'all know I'll wait you out, right? Exodus 20, three through five, right? The very first commandment. Back to our first question this morning. To the moms in the room, do you ever have to say to your children, eat all your dessert? Has anyone ever had to say, eat all your dessert? There's not a hand up. Now let's think about this logically. Why don't we have to say, Becky, eat all your dessert? Because Becky wants to eat all her dessert, and that comes naturally to us to eat all our dessert, right? So let's learn from this. We come closer to saying, eat your vegetables, take one bite of everything. We come closer to saying those things to our children. Why? Well, I think for several reasons. First, because we love them and we know what's best for them. And whatever we're telling them is not going to come naturally to them or we wouldn't be saying it, right? So here we have God telling us the very first commandment, and I'm guessing it's because it's not going to come naturally to me. He loves me. He knows what's best for me, and this is not going to come naturally to me. It's a heart problem I have, the human condition. All right, so he goes on, not just here, but again, all through the Old Testament and the New Testament. Martin Luther, in his large catechism and treatise on, on good works, said this. He wrote that the Ten Commandments begin with the commandment against idolatry, and he's, he's explaining why he feels this is so. And he argued the fundamental motivation behind law-breaking is idolatry. Well, when God gives us a law or a decree, something to do or not to do, I encourage you to ask why. Not in a disrespectful way um, and not as in any condition to obey it, but in a, a manner of respect and wanting to know him more. Josh McDowell wrote a book years ago called Right from Wrong that when I read it years ago, it changed my life the way that I read scripture. And the 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 bottom line of the book is that we move, when we look at scripture, and especially all the do's and don'ts of scripture, we move from the precept, which is the actual rule itself, the regulation, the do or the don't, we move from precept, we ask why, and we move to the principle, which is a broader idea that applies to several circumstances. We ask why again, and we move to the person of God, and when we do that, we see his protection and provision for us. You see, if you stop at the principle and you just do all the do's or don'ts, you just do them. You just don't do them, you do them. You don't do them, you do them. The, if we stop there, we have a very legalistic life. If we ask the why and we move a little deeper and we get to the principle, then we have a moralistic life. But if we move to the person of God, then we have a relationship with the living God, which is what we were created to 
B is in relationship with God. So that's what I want us to do with this first commandment. Why? And we already kind of touched on that with Hosea, right? Let's do it some more. Let's look at Deuteronomy 10, 12 through 13. You must always obey the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. Look at Jeremiah 32, 39. I will give them one heart and one purpose to worship me forever for their own good and for the good of all their descendants. Let's ask why again. Look at Matthew 6. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You see, God who made me and loves me knows how I am made. And he knows that I cannot serve two masters. He has made me to worship. The Luke passage, by the way, on your handout, says the same thing, but in a different setting because the principle is the same, right? The principle is the same. I am made to love and be devoted. So the question is, to whom or what will I give my love and devotion? There's only one right choice. There's only one that is worthy. The word worship itself is an expression of reverence and adoration of God. That's a definition from Tyndale. The word worship means literally worth-ship, to accord worth, true value to something, to recognize and respect it for the true worth it has. John Ortberg, in a great book with such a title, if you want to walk on water, you've got to get out of the boat, he says about worship, worship is not about filling God's unmet ego needs, something in our spirits demand that we express the joy we receive. Have you thought about worship in that way? I'm going to read that one more time. Worship is not about filling God's unmet ego needs. Scripture tells us that there's nothing I have that God needs. God needs nothing from me, of me. He needs nothing. Something in our spirit demands that we express the joy we receive. That's worship. Psalm 95 Come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come to him with thanksgiving. Let us sing psalms of praise to him, for the Lord is a great God, a great king above all gods. He holds in his hands the depths of the earth and the mightiest mountains. The sea belongs to him, for he made it. His hands formed the dry land too. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. We are the people he watches over, the flock under his care. If only you would listen to his voice today. Did you see the protection and provision just right here in this verse? Do you see where it says, um, we are the people he watches over, the flock under his care? That's his protection and his provision for us. You'll hear more about worship in session two DVD uh, next week. So we're going to move on. But maybe we're thinking, you know what? We are smarter than this, though. You know, this is 2019, right? Who was the wisest man listed in script? The answer is not Jesus. He was wisdom personified. So not Jesus, not God, not the Holy Spirit, not the Bible, okay? Who was the wisest man listed in scripture? Solomon. He was known for his wealth and his wisdom, and do you know the wisest man had an idol issue? Big one. Even though he was specifically warned by God. Look at 1 Kings 11. 
The Lord was very angry with Solomon, for his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. He had warned Solomon specifically about worshiping other gods, but Solomon did not listen to the Lord's command. So now the Lord said to him, Since you have not kept my covenant and have disobeyed my decrees, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you. And of course, it came to pass just as God said, exactly as God said, because he is God, and that is the way life works. God dealt seriously with idolatry. He knew it was absolutely destructive. It eventually led to the dispersion of the ten northern tribes. It led to the uprooting of the people of Israel, Israel to Babylon for 70 years of ca- captivity, and it eventually led to the destruction of Solomon's temple. I'm thinking if the wisest humans struggled with idolatry, idolatry must be either easy to start and or difficult to see and or difficult to stop. And as I look at scripture and my own life, I think it's all three for me. It's easy to start, it's hard to see, and it's difficult to stop. And the the Bible is filled with story after story. We don't have to learn everything the hard way, people. And we're going to look at some of the stories through these next weeks together from God's word. Why is idolatry difficult to see? Well, I think even in the Old Testament and sometimes in the New Testament, idolatry actually is pictured as the gold statues, the calves, the poles, the incense, sacrifices, which again often stops us from seeing idolatry in our own lives. I want us to look in the New Testament at 1 John at this definition. This is another scripture that I wrote in the, back of, in the front of my book, and I changed Dear Children, and I put in my own name. So it says, Dear Rhonda, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your heart. I had to make heart singular because, you know, I made the verse mine. There's the definition of idolatry that'll help us think bigger and broader. Anything, and I would say anyone, that might take God's place in your heart. In Out of the Salt Shaker, Rebecca Pippert says, Whatever controls us is our Lord. The person who seeks power is controlled by power. The person who seeks acceptance is controlled by the people he or she wants to please. We do not control ourselves. We are controlled by the Lord of our lives. An idol, by its very definition, controls us. So do you see again God's protection and provision when he tells us, Worship only me. I am the only God. Because that's who I want to be controlled by. The one who loves me most, who gave his son to die for me who longs for a relationship with me, that's who I want his Holy Spirit living within me to control me. Does that make sense? Kelly, our author, quotes a couple of definitions of idols from Ken Sandy and Richard Keyes, and those are in your study guide on pages 14 and 15. You'll probably look at them again this morning. I don't want to take anything away from Scripture's broad definition in 1 John 5, 21, but part of my job as a teacher I strongly feel is to help us all think, me included, bigger and broader. So sometimes when we look at other definitions, something in that definition might be the thing that, oh, oh, okay, I get it. So I just want us to look at some other bigger, broader thoughts on idolatry. Okay, here are a few. Anything we set up instead of or along with God is an idol and when we live out of our addiction rather than our true identity 
the result is idolatry, the idolatry of self. That is actually from Jennifer Rothschild's Bible study that we did several years ago. I thought it was such a good definition. Debreston and Idolize, another excellent book, and it should be on the back of your handout. And this book is in our church library if you're interested in reading this one. She says, anytime our deepest desire is for something other than God because we think that will satisfy or rescue us, a dangerous soul idol is forming. We may idolize the approval of people, our own comfort, or maintaining control. All of these things can become idol lies, things we value more than God. All right, let's keep going. In the Bible, idolatry includes, of course, the rituals, um, worship of gods. It means to bow down or to kiss the hand. What a picture, to kiss the hand. Or make sacrifices to the God of other religions and nations. But the Bible makes it clear that we can't contain idolatry to literal bowing down before images. Again, if that's where we stop in our mind and heart, then we won't see the problem in our lives. So let's look to Ezekiel 14. Son of man, these leaders have set up idols in their hearts. They have embraced things that will make them fall into sin. Why should I listen to their requests? Tell them. This is what the sovereign Lord says. The people of Israel have set up idols in their hearts and fallen into sin. And then they go to a prophet asking for a message. So I, the Lord, will give them the kind of answer their great idolatry deserves. I will do this to capture the minds and hearts of all my people who have turned from me to worship their detestable idols. Therefore, tell the people of Israel, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Repent and turn away from your idols and stop all your detestable sins. In this way, the people of Israel will learn not to stray from me, polluting themselves with sin. They will be my people and I will be their God. I, the sovereign Lord, have spoken. There's a Puritan David Clarkson, if you've ever read any of those sermons, it's really fun, if, especially if you read them out loud. And he has a sermon, Soul Idolatry Excludes Men Out of Heaven. He says this, When the mind is most taken up with an object and the heart and affections most set upon it, this is soul worship and this is the honor due only to the Lord to have the first, the highest place, both in our minds and our hearts and endeavors. And lastly, from Tim Keller's book, Encounterfeit Gods. It, he's talking about idolatry, is anything more important to you than God, anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, anything you seek to give you what only God can give. A counterfeit God is anything so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. If I have that then I'll feel my life has meaning. Then I'll know I have value. Then I'll feel significant and secure. If anything becomes more fundamental than God to your happiness, meaning in life, and identity, then it is an idol. So an idol is something that we look to that only God can actually give. In Counterfeit Gods, again, it was a very convicting book for me every time I've read it, and it was good for me to review it again. On your handout are my top 10 summary thoughts back to the good old David Letterman days. So this is meant to be an additional resource for you as you ask God to help you see the idols in your own heart, okay? So idol top 10 countdown, here we go. The human heart is an idol factory. Roman one, Romans 1 tells us, 
They knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks, and they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. Let me just stop there. That's scary. Yes, they knew God. See how the verse starts? Yes, they knew God. But, always scary to see these big buts. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. They traded the truth about God for a lie, so they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself, who was worthy of eternal praise. And there we are back to worship again. Paul goes on, by the way, to make a long list of sins that create misery and evil in the world, but they all find their roots here in idolatry. The first fact on the list, the human heart is an idol factory, and it's not just an idol factory. It like, think of it as mass production, mass producing idols. That's what our heart does. Looking briefly at the other nine, the greater the good, the more likely we are to expect that it can satisfy our deepest needs and hopes. Anything, and again, I would put anyone, can serve as a counterfeit God, especially the very best things in life. Counterfeit gods always disappoint, and often destructively so. The Bible uses three basic metaphors to describe how people relate to the idols of their hearts. They love idols, trust idols, and obey idols. If you just stop right there and put in the word God, that's what he wants for us, right? He wants us to love him, to trust him, and to obey him. And yet when we have idols, we're not doing that. Counterfeit gods come in clusters, making the idolatry structure of the heart complex. Sin in our hearts affects our basic motivational drives. So they become idolatrous. This is what he refers to as deep idols. Each deep idol, power, approval, comfort, or control, generates a different set of fears and a different set of hopes. Number four, surface idols are things such as money, our spouse, or children, through which our deep idols seek fulfillment. We are often superficial in the analysis of our idol structures. This is why we need the Holy Spirit to help us. Number three, the Lord cannot be added to a life as one more hedge against failure. One of my friends has an Indian spirit guide that she also has. Do you you understand what I'm saying? And she's just a regular woman like you and me. All right, let's keep going. Uh, He is not one more resource to use to help us achieve our agenda. He is a whole new agenda. Realize that idols cannot simply be removed. They must be replaced. If you only try to uproot them, they grow back, but they can be supplanted by God himself. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later in another lecture. Idolatry is not only one sin among many, but what is fundamentally wrong with the human heart. We see this in Jeremiah 17. Jeremiah 17 says, The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? But I, the Lord, search all hearts and examine secret motives. I give all people their due rewards according to what their actions deserve. This was the heart condition of Judah, but it's a principle of the natural condition of the human heart. We have a serious heart problem. I have a heart condition, and I actually may not even know it without the Lord helping me. So God who made me and knows me best and loves me most, what might idols look like today? So this is American Idol season 2019, and I want to warn you that some images of these contestants may be personally offensive. Are you ready? 
This first one I included after our small group last week. Maybe your group discussed it as well. But let's put some faces with it. Oh, wow, ouch, okay. All right, then there's sports and or entertainment. Look who I had, I got the Cowboys playing the Bears. <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh yeah, that's not my problem. The, oh, look, there's some faces to it. Oh, now it maybe looks a little different. What about this one? Bring it on home, let's look. Oh, there, there she is, yep, she's got a face. Looks like me, no, not really, maybe 30 years ago. Maybe it looks like you. Or this idol contestant. Family? Again, let's add some faces. What? Family? Really? Yes. Look at number nine on the top ten of your idol countdown. The greater the good, the more likely we are to expect that it can satisfy our deepest needs and hopes. Anything can serve as a counterfeit God, especially the very best thing in life. What about this one? The things you own owning you. Maybe it looks like this. Or what about this one? You know, I made sure I found a healthy food picture because I thought if I put sweets up there, y'all would go, oh, that's not my problem, and it's my New Year's resolution not to eat any sugar, whatever. Whatever. Even food, healthy food, can be an idol. And exercise. And politics. And I don't know what else. Anything. I can't see your heart. I have enough trouble seeing my own. Truly, we must ask and depend on God to help us see our idols. Here's a most incomplete list ever. And I put it in alphabetical order because I didn't know what else to do. So there's a list. And what I'm asking you to do is look at that list and feel free to add anything else to it that you would like to add. And then get back with me privately. You don't have to make it a public thing. And you can even be asking for a friend. I don't care. I would just like to, I, because my desire is in a later lecture, uh, session five on February 26, I would like on that lecture to hit two or three idols and talk about them, expound them, looking at God's word. And so I'd like to do that with what's on your heart. So you can shoot me an email, you can just tell me in passing, you can tell your leader and your leader can tell me, but I'll, I'll collect those, but I want to tell you like in a week, because I need to write that lecture. Um, so if, you, if you'll do that, I would love to make that lecture uh, be most applicable to the ears and hearts hearing it. For now, with God's help, let's look at our own hearts and ask some questions that might help us identify our own idols, and we're going to go through these quickly. These are questions, areas that you can look at in your own life. Idol, judge for yourself, daydreams. Idols capture our imagination, and we can locate them by looking at our daydreams. This is a quote from Archbishop William Temple. Your religion is what you do with your solitude. Did you know you can also look at your nightmares and maybe get an, an insight into your idols because of the sense of being in control that we have? Idol judge for yourself, spending patterns. Matthew 6, 21, wherever your heart is there, the desires of your heart will also be. Look at how you spend your money. That might give you some insight. Idol judge for yourself, emotions. Consider your most uncontrollable, most unyielding emotions and look for your idols there. Let me give you some examples of those because that may be like, what? So for example, anger. Is there something here that's too important to me, something I must have at all costs? Is that's why I'm getting angry? Or fear. 
or guilt or despair? Am I so scared because something in my life is being threatened that I think is a necessity when it is not? You see what I'm talking about with looking at emotions? Exhausted, overworked, frantic. Do I feel that I must have this thing to be fulfilled and significant? Idle, judge for yourself, functional title. Our author is actually going to mention this next week in her lecture. And I just wanted to introduce the topic to you because you might not have thought of it this way before. A functional title, that most basic question which God poses to each human heart. This is, by the way, from the Journal of Biblical Counseling. Has something or someone besides Jesus the Christ taken title to your heart's functional trust, preoccupation, loyalty, service, fear, and delight? Idol, judge for yourself, functional salvation flows from that somewhat. What is operating in the place of Jesus Christ as your real functional salvation and Savior? What are you looking to in order to justify yourself? Whatever it is, it's a counterfeit God, and we've got to make a change in our lives. And you must first identify it. In the future lectures, we're going to look at idle elimination round. We're going to look at idle results. We'll look at a couple of the idols that you suggest for me. Um, I will say our author does an excellent job in all of the DVDs you'll be seeing. She's an excellent teacher. And so I, I'm hoping to supplement her for all of us. God's word clearly tells me in Proverbs 4.23, that's on your handout, to guard my heart above all else, for it determines the course of my life. So I pray, Psalm 139, 23 and 24. It's the third verse I have written in my cover. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. I've done a dangerous thing on your handout. And I put a lot of so what, now what questions. And I have collected these from several different sources on idolatry questions that you can ask. And I'm just going to tell you, if you just read it, you're going to look at it and go, wow, that's like lots of inches of questions we're supposed to answer. Let me suggest a way to do this. In quiet, with nothing else around you, to distract you. Read the questions and make yourself stop at least five seconds between each one and see what God brings to mind. And I think that will help you. It helped me pinpoint some things in my life. It might jar something that, um, that in all honesty, Satan is trying to blind you to. So I encourage you to do that on your own. Um, they, they're not meant for our group time or anything. They're just for us to look at individually. Let's pray together and we'll close. You know what? I have to ask you just one question before we pray. You can keep your eyes closed if you want. Let's uh, say that you're married and your husband, he is a really great guy. He's He's a, he's a good father. And now he does love one other woman besides you. Just one. He loves you too. He spends most of the time with you. You get all the holidays especially. Are you good with that? 
Father, thank you that you will not share the throne of my heart, of my life with anyone or anything else. You love me that much. Please search me. Know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts and point out anything in me that offends you. Lead me along the path of everlasting life. I want to be kept from anything, anything that might take your rightful place in my heart and help me to guard my heart even today. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Thank you, and please remember to give me your suggestions, okay? All right, go to your groups.